0: You don't have to be positive all the time. It's perfectly okay to feel sad, angry, annoyed, frustrated, scared, and anxious. Having feelings doesn't make you a negative person. It doesn't even make you weak. It makes you human. And we are here to talk through it all. We welcome you to These Fucking Feelings Podcast, a safe space for all who needs it. Grab a drink and take a seat. The session begins now. What is up, guys? Welcome to These Fucking Feelings podcast. I am Micah, and we got Rebecca over here with me. She's virtually co-hosting from California. She got me all abandoned and alone inside of our studio. And we have our very, very special guest, Debbie Adams. Now, almost said Alan, right? (laughs) And how many times does that happen to you?
1: (laughs) She was a beautiful woman.
0: She was, right? Still is, and she's she's still Probably, alive. Probably, right? yes. Okay. okay, I was like, oh, <laughs> I think she's still alive. <laughs> and uh, Debbie, one thing that we like to do here is we ask our guests to introduce themselves because I don't want to leave anything out, and all of you is important. So, if you can, please okay. tell our audience a little bit about you.
1: Okay, well, I am a part-time nanny, a job that I've held between part-time and full-time for about thirty years. I um, am the author of Winning Over Shame, Overcoming Sexual, Emotional, and Psychological Abuse. I am divorced, single, very happily so. Um, really focusing on trying to get my story out there, letting people know that if you were abused and you feel like it's your fault, it isn't, and there's a way to let go of that blame for something that you didn't do. Definitely. And that's a really toxic type of shame. It's very tricky.
0: Yeah, and it's crazy because I think a lot of us actually deal with that shame in just so many aspects of our life, but it's especially Absolutely. in abuse. Um, um, as we always tell you guys, if something doesn't feel right, most likely it's not right, find your safe place, your safe person, talk to people about it, and um, make sure that you are okay before anything else.
2: So. Absolutely.
0: Cool. So now... <laughs> Let's get a little bit into your story, if that is okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I know it's a, it's a pretty horrible tale, but it's cool because it's ending up in healing for you, and that's pretty amazing. And you're sharing it with the world. So that's awesome as well. Thank you. But uh let's start
1: from the beginning. Start from the beginning. For me, <laughs> the beginning was between three and four years of age, actually. My and you were- um I'm sorry?
0: you remember that that time?
1: I do. I absolutely do. My father had attempted to commit suicide, or maybe he was playing at committing suicide. In the case, I was between three and four, and he was in the bathtub, and my mother and my baby sister were not home, and he basically made me pull him out of the bathtub wow. and jump up and down on his chest, which if he was awake and alive, he didn't need right. CPR, but I think it was part of the grooming. Of me, and I felt like that was my fault that he did that, and I must have done something wrong. Because at the same age, we had a set of puppies. And I went out to play with them one morning, and they were dead. Well, One of them was dead. And my father went out, and the rest of them were under the porch, also dead. They had eaten glass, according to him. And he said somebody left the door open. And, yeah, I was a four-year-old. It must have been my fault because my parents couldn't have done it. Right. Even though I didn't remember doing it. And that was the beginning of really thinking that I was something wrong. Wow. And I didn't, I shouldn't even exist. It wasn't that I did wrong things, but I was something wrong.
0: And That is sounds pretty tough for a four yeah. year old, because I yeah. know yeah. being 24 and feeling that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: So then things just went downhill from there, huh?
1: Well, when I was nine, my parents were divorced by this point, and my father took my sister and I after a visitation and just kept us. Wow. It was basically abduction, and he left me for a lot of the time in the care of four adult, five adults that I just called them, and they were sadistic and really, really bad people. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, if they could make me hurt somehow, that made them happy.
0: Now, is this something that just happened to you, or did they do it to your sister as well?
1: I would like to believe that I protected my sister completely. I think the odds I didn't, but I certainly did block a lot of what didn't happen to her. Yeah, and she became my reason to be alive.
0: Definitely, and I'm glad that uh, it's so crazy to say. I'm glad that she was there, but I'm glad that you had a reason because you're here now to tell your
1: story. Absolutely,
0: yeah, sure. So, Rebecca, go ahead, take it away, Rebecca. What you got for me?
2: Well, I know I, I was con- enjoying, well, not enjoying, but I was listening to her story, so um, I I feel like she has more to tell, um, so I just wanted to keep hearing, and I don't have any good questions just yet, so.
1: Well, the yeah. book follows me <clears throat> from that beginning when I was three or four, pretty much till 2011. And so after the abduction, we ended up back with my mother, who it was a whole other story. I didn't want to be with her. I didn't trust her or feel safe with her. And so it really shows you the way the maladaptive behaviors can take place as you go through life and how it, the ramifications of it never stopped. When I was 21, I ended up in a psychiatric hospital. Um, I ended up on disability also. I did three months of different hospitals that kept readmitting me. And in the last one, I met my ex-husband and he fit all my requirements in life, which was, he wanted me. Those are my entire <laughs> requirements. And you know, when you're set at that low, you just, nothing good comes of it.
2: Right. right
1: and right. so we were together for 12 years. And in the beginning, it was really wonderful. It filled my needs. I had somebody there 24 hours a day with me and it was like magical. Unfortunately, we got a computer and he got onto AOL and got into a lot of extreme interest sexually, which landed in the end to us being in a swinging group. All
0: right. And oh, so it wow. was a
1: group of 10 or 12 people, well, 10 or 12 couples anyway. They weren't all there every time, but they became our social outlet. It's what we did on the parties, it's what we did on our weekends when we weren't at parties. And it was just a completely sexualized atmosphere all the time, which was very familiar to me.
0: well now was that something oh that's all grass was that something that you were okay with or it was something you did because of him?
1: I insisted that I was okay with it very, very loudly, so nobody could possibly contradict me <laughs> It was familiar right. so it was comfortable and horrible at the same time. There were parts of it I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the flirting and the teething and the playing games. Of course. If I could just left the sex out of it, that would have been better. Right.
0: Now, I know I was reading about CPTSD. That's it, all right?
1: CPTSD. Okay. I
0: said it wrong, huh? <laughs> <laughs> CPTSD. All yeah, right, here we go. <laughs> so, I, actually, that was the first time I ever heard of that. Okay. So, it's complex post-traumatic. Yes. Stress disorder, right?
1: Often post traumatic stress is caused by one very severe incident. With okay. complex, it's a series of it. So it was something you couldn't get out of it. It goes on for an extended period of time.
0: So, how did, when did you finally realize, like, this isn't the life I want? This isn't the husband I want. I need to get out of all of this?
1: That came from outside of me. He had, at the end, met a woman who he said was his soulmate, and he loved her. She had children and a husband, had no intention of leaving them. And he didn't want me to leave him. He thought he should be able to just have both. And so, in the end, it became violent. And I bit him because I was afraid he was going to hurt me further. And he called the police, and I refused to press charges, and he very happily pressed charges. So, a judge ordered me no contact with him until I get back to court which ended up being six or eight weeks. Wow. And I spent the year before that trying to fix it, trying to make it work, did everything I could imagine. So there wasn't any niggle in the back of my head. And actually, when I saw him, when we were back to court, I didn't recognize him at first. Like, who is this balding, big guy, and why is he talking to me? <laughs> there was just total disconnect. I didn't recognize him at all for a minute.
0: Wow. That's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. It was bizarre.
0: I, I, I know. Very bizarre. It, it, whew, it's like you have been through, like, we ain't even 10 minutes into this.
2: <laughs> I know. I mean, we got really far into it. Is nannying, like, a high point in your life? Is that, like, your... It definitely
1: is one of those keep me stable and strong yeah. and alive kind of things. Because when little yeah. kids are depending on me, I can't go off the deep end
2: Right. Right, right now like they're, how they're, is
0: they're it being a nanny see like i don't have any kids and i don't want any okay. And then, okay every time i see somebody with a child it's like i consider it for a few minutes and then it's like uh
1: do I you have children,
2: have children of children? your own
1: no i was not able to have children and then i decided i didn't want to have children with him right so right. i just chose not to have them
0: so that how the nanny ain't coming to the picture
1: that I was actually doing from right after high school Oh, okay So and I had always taken care of kids Either paid or not paid Since when my father abducted me At that point I was watching the older siblings He did childbirth And so I was watching the older siblings While their mothers were giving birth Wow So it's always been a part of my life
0: Yeah, so like do you do like the uh, live-in nanny thing? Like-
1: only when I was younger Okay. At 55, it's really hard to do that.
0: I can imagine. It's yeah, just sure. like you raising somebody else's kid.
1: Absolutely. And I'm very proud of the children that I raised or helped raise.
0: That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing that you can actually have the life that you have, but still want to spread joy. So we commend you for that. For so, sure. Winning over shame. When did you realize that you wanted to tell your story? Actually, before we even go there, when okay. did you when did you realize that you were ashamed of your life and the things that happened to you? Was there something that was always
1: present? Yes, it was very important to keep it hidden and that nobody know.
0: Right. See, I, I too actually am a sexual abuse survivor and it was kind of the same thing for me. Like I kept it quiet for a long time and now I don't shut up about it because I'm like, look, I'm about to tell <laughs> everybody, right? But I, I, I really understand that shame aspect of it. And a lot of shame for me came from the parts that part of me enjoyed it. My body reacted to, and it wasn't that I enjoyed it, but I felt like my body reacted to
1: it. Right. You didn't know that your body would do that if it was forced.
0: Right. Which Mm -hmm. meant I was enjoying it. I had to, if my body was reacting to it, you know, so that a lot of shame came from that as, as well.
1: Yeah. I actually got to the point where I was initiating sexual things with them. Just to keep me safe and to keep some feeling like I was in control. I was nine; I was not in control, but I felt like if I did that, I could shortcut anything worse that they were doing and, you know, it amused them. So it did moderate their behavior.
0: It's like crazy that you had to think that way as a nine-year-old. Yeah. You know, yep. and 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 um, what's even crazier is that there's still people. There's probably still nine year olds in this world that still have to think this way, and that's why I think your yes. story is so important because you fought your way out of that, and and that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. Thank you. In terms of when did I know I wanted to write the book? Um, probably in the early 2000s. I got into a really good therapist and support group. Okay. In 2007. I think it was, and I learned to start developing relationships and to have the beginnings of trust with other people, and people kept telling me, you know, your story is not average or boring or, you know, what happened to you is not nothing, and I can write. It's a skill that I have, so I spent about 10 years actively preparing to write the book, wow. and then about a year and a half writing it.
0: Sheesh. So a lot um, a lot, a lot of your blood, sweat, and tears went into yeah, this book. <laughs>
1: absolutely. <laughs> For sure. So
0: of course we're gonna list all of the links and point everybody right. in the direction of your book and your website and, and those yes. things. Um, so how so therapy, you went into therapy. When did that happen? When did you decide that you needed
1: therapy? I met that therapist in two thousand six. I had been in therapist therapy since junior year in high school. There was a four year gap when I wasn't. But other than that, I'd always been in therapy. Unfortunately, I didn't trust therapists and mine left every year or two because it was a training hospital. So it was just putting out fires, you know, living day to day and getting through until the next week. I did twice a week for, oh, probably 15 years. Wow.
0: Did now was do... therapy a choice of yours? Yes. Sorry, Rebecca. It was a I choice wondered. of yours.
1: I wanted to figure it out. I wanted to know why I felt so horrible. Right.
2: Did you do any other sorts of therapies, for lack of a better word, other than just the therapist type of therapy, like meditation, yoga, anything like that?
1: Um, Yeah, I went on medication in my very early 20s for bipolar disorder. And anxiety and, you know, all the things that come along with that. So they like to give you pills for all those things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: But you say you do not claim no
1: more, right? I still take medication. I just don't claim myself as crazy. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course.
0: (laughs) I, I'm gonna say we all a little crazy. I, if yeah, this is it. true,
1: clinically not, crazy.
0: See, right? But clinically crazy. Yeah, I, I get that. But I'm like, I know I don't have some psycho moments in my life. So,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and um, so was it hard to start building up your self confidence through all this? Like, how? I guess. When was the moment that you knew that those things were not who I am? And this is who I am. And you're probably still on that journey. I'm I'm guessing. We are
1: all still on that journey. Yes, definitely. Um, yes. The end of the book actually takes place in 2011. And okay. it's a day that I was perfectly happy. There was no, oh, I wish I hadn't woken up. No depression. No wishing I was dead. None of that. And there wasn't even really any fear, you know, back at that point in my life, there probably should have been, but it just was a moment and a day where I felt happy. Like, I imagine most people feel happy all the time. And so I did the normal thing. I freaked out and called my therapist and said, what am I going (laughs) to (laughs) do? I feel happy. What am I going to do? And she did not laugh at me. She said, Debbie, you know that feelings pass. They always pass. And just try to enjoy it. So we had like a 15 minute conversation about what I should do that day. And I did. And I went out and I walked my dog and smiled at people and, went out to dinner with my best friend and it was a really good day. And you know, it did pass and it was a little sad. Right. I think it's like when people take drugs that first time you take it. And then every time you're trying to chase that perfect first time again, I... in some ways it was like that. It never has been quite as miraculous since, but I don't get tired of being happy.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a, a very good answer. Um, yeah. when, my God, I lost my question.
1: I'm sorry. I don't know.
0: It's not your fault. I think of He's like getting, a million, I think a million yeah. miles an hour.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I always have 10 questions in my head. And mm-hmm. when you try to put 10 questions together, they don't come out right.
1: Nope. Yeah. You know? Nothing it, it's, it's ever not, comes right not. out my mouth.
0: <laughs> But uh, when did, so I know we were talking about like the uh, wishing you were dead or wishing you weren't here and and, and those kind of things. Um, What motivate you to still be here or to not, I don't want to say not take your own life, but to not fall into that kind of downfall?
1: For the longest time, it was my sister primarily and then other people that I knew because I have seen what suicide does to people, even when they're very peripheral to the person who did it. And I raised children, so what if they found out? And I would really mess with their heads. So really it was to not hurt people I cared about. Okay.
0: And when did it become about you and not hurting you?
1: Probably when I gave it up. Okay. I uh, had gotten very weird with self-injury and had been in the hospital, and I could see my therapist starting to pull back a little bit. Because I think she was afraid I was going to actually kill myself at that point. And I, it was this big shock of, you know, if she can't handle this, what am I going to do? I got to right. get control over this. And and it's not paid. easy.
0: Right? right? She's paid for this. If she can't handle it, then, yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. So you kind of started to find those things within yourself a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I yeah. started still to... Have- Sorry. Go
2: ahead.
1: I started to learn how to have relationships with other people and to realize that what people show on the outside is not who they really are.
2: Right.
1: Uh, everybody puts a cover on and they look better than they are. So I had been comparing my inside to everybody else's outside my whole life. Okay. And as I knew more people in a, in a support group, you know, you shed your mask when you walk in the door, I learned how similar I was to many people. All right. And how normal some of what I felt was
0: so how how difficult was that learning to trust people and I asked because I still have an issue i I probably went through about fourteen years of kind of molestation and sexual assault and those kind of things and then um I kind of went through a battle with cancer and I almost died and I would, had killing beret young so I kind of went through a lot of different types of trauma but um i always i recognize now that I still don't like to be touched by men, <laughs> you know, which is really hard because I have to go to a barbershop once a week. Right. <laughs> because this is where women have it easy. Right. You always complaining, but you could just wear your same hairstyle and be good and not wash it.
1: <laughs> I don't know what women you know. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think about like these hairstyle, like a uh, microwave, you know, like, women to get braids and then like have it for three months. And I was like, I wish I could get braids for three months and then not have to worry about getting a haircut once a week because I, I'm always tense in a barber's chair when he's cutting my hair and, and it's like, okay, now he's lining me up. So now he's touching my face or he touches the lips. And it always makes me feel like, Ugh. so I feel like I'm still working on my trust issues. My boring you with back on my story.
2: No, I'm okay. so sorry. No. Like- <laughs> I'm tired um, only but, because of the time difference.
0: And <laughs> so people don't know. So I, I don't know if we explain in another episode. Re- Rebecca is actually in California working. So that's why she's here virtually. And then our, our producer is actually taking a sabbatical because she has some things going on with her kids. Nothing negative. Uh, her daughter plays volleyball and she's just a very supportive mom. So they leave me here to myself and by myself. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of traumatizing too. But back to you, Debbie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So so when did you, I I know you said building relationship with people, but how hard was that for you? And then how did you get through that?
1: It was utterly terrifying. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had my therapist and we spent most of every session unpacking the group sessions I'd been in two days before usually. And, you know, the, shame I felt when I opened my mouth and said something and maybe somebody didn't take it the right way or the fear that people thought that I thought I was better than them. You know, all these things that run through everybody's head were just crashing in on me. And I wanted to stop and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of went backwards and learned how to make very casual friendships. I had a dog and we went to the dog park and we had this group of 10 people or so that would show up there every night and we'd stay for two or three hours. And, you know, you didn't really share anything deeper, meaningful. You talked about your dogs, right? but they were nice people. And they counted me as a friend. And I learned that I don't have to share with everybody. I wanted to. Every time I met somebody, I wanted to just blurt it all out at them.
0: (laughs) I think I do it all the time. Yeah, he does.
2: He does. I wanted to explain my face I made. Okay. Just a few seconds ago, because I realized in my mind that maybe that face was a little offensive, maybe. But I didn't mean it that way. I when you said that you worry about what you say can sometimes upset people or offend them or whatever. That is a constant thing for me. So I know exactly what you mean by that. A lot of times I don't even realize that when i speak i often might say something or do something that does upset or offend somebody and i'm just going about my day <laughs> and <laughs> i don't i don't know any better i guess and i don't know why i do that i just feel like i'm just being me saying my thing and A lot of times when I was growing up, um, I'll actually give you a little bit of my background. I was born into a family with five children. I am one in the middle between two sets of twins. So I often didn't get listened to or heard or paid attention to. So I often just got talked over. Um, So... Maybe I'm maybe now I'm thinking I say what I need to say without thinking just so that I do get heard. Um, because even still to this day, people talk over me. People don't listen to me. So, you know, it's She's
0: talking about me, Debbie. She's talking about me.
2: Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> so I know what you mean by that. So we all have, and I don't have the kinds of traumas that the two of you have expressed. You know, with you know, there's
0: one thing that we need uh, to eliminate on this show: there is no size when it comes to trauma. I know, I know. I'm just
2: saying, no sexual trauma. I've had my own sorts of traumas, definitely, but um, but I still struggle with you know knowing the right types of social correctness, I guess. I don't know. Because of the way I grew up.
1: Yeah, the worst for me, at the worst of it was when I would smile at somebody and they wouldn't smile back or they'd look away or whatever. And I felt like I must be a horrible person that this person didn't even want me to smile at them. Oh, That was, that got to the extreme as it got. And Aww. my therapist is like, Debbie... <laughs> You can't live in this world if you can't walk down the street without feeling like a bad person. Right.
2: Oh, yeah. Right. That's, that's
0: sad. Now, so you kind of, I, I feel like you say something that kind of always goes in line with kind of one thing I say. And I say that I was able to overcome my trauma when I started to realize that it wasn't about me. You know, I yeah. was kind of just a vessel at the time, but these people were doing it because they were messed up. (laughs) You know, it was about them. And I know you kind of say something similar. Mm -hmm. How did that belief come about?
1: When I started realizing that I was not black and dirty and horrible and shouldn't be, then I had to face the fact that they were.
0: Right. And and how hard is it to deal with the fact that these things that happen to you because other people are sick, isn't that (laughs) kind of horrible?
1: For me, my father taught me things, and then coincidentally, these people required the same behaviors. So I knew that if I just could believe like he did, and if it just would be normal and good, like everybody else thought it was, I would be fine. But I could not make that mental leap, not even as a kid.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mom. yeah. Well, that's sucky. <laughs> yes,
1: really? but if you get through all of that in the book, then you get to see some really great things. Okay.
0: You know? Well, I know. I wanted to ask you about group therapy. It's something I never did, not something I never thought about, but I can imagine just the leap in your healing journey. It went from doing a one on one with a therapy to now being with a group of non professionals and a room of feelings.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, there was one professional in the room. but yeah. Well, one
0: professional, of course, but you know.
1: It was very scary. And it took a lot of support to get through it.
0: So and what I, do you see people who feel like they can't do it?
1: You can do it. I mean, we have all been through the very worst that could ever happen to us, and we survived it. And I know for me, that worst is so extreme that I will never run across anything that hurts that badly. And I will never be under that kind of control by another human being again.
0: Right. So what is your safe space? Like, do do you have one that you go to when you feel down? And I know you say you like writing. Um, That's something that you do when, when, when the sadness starts to creep in.
1: I spend as much time with little kids as I can.
0: Okay. That'll be good. See that little kids are good for See, little kids are good for two things, right? I'm going to tell you one to play with number two, Chores. If I don't got to wash the dishes, <laughs> I'll be all the way good, okay?
2: <laughs> oh, so, Lord. Oh. So if he ever does have kids, they're going to be required to work. Like, oh,
0: work. You know what? I say I get old
2: to, enough to clean the dishes because other than that,
0: well, you I, don't know wanna what that take I do want to foster kids, right?
2: Yeah, oh, okay. I'm I mean. still torn.
0: I'm still torn. Yes, I want a false storm so they could do chores. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's really, it saddens me to that we live in a world where people don't know what love is. That absolutely destroys me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we hear your story, and I think of all the love that was absent for a majority of your life, and that pains me. You know, so it's cool to see you smile, and it's cool to see the love in you now, because I just met you. but one thing is that we know you have a story and it's Mm -hmm. amazingly horrible. (laughs) You know, it's like, you can't even fathom some of the things that, you know, it's like you refer to people as them. This is not a good, this is not a good story. (laughs) (laughs) Set The alarms, <laughs> you know, but it, it's, it's cool to see like, okay, the love in yourself now, you know, you, you, you're, you're giving that to us, you know, you're showing if nothing else, the love that you have for you. And that's pretty cool, but it's still sad that there's people in this world that don't know that they can get to a level of healing where they can witness love. So part of me wants to bring people into my family because I feel like I have a lot of love to give, but it's also scary Because how do you love somebody past pain that they've been through? And I know it's very easy for people to say, you just love them, but it's still a way that you have to do it. And I don't know if I'm capable of that yet because I'm still healing myself and I'm still on my healing journey. So not that I say that I feel like there needs to be a right time, but I feel like there needs to be a right time.
1: You have to respect the journey. And you'll always be on a journey of some sort. Right. And the hope is that you get bigger inside so you can fit more people into your love space.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, love space. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, season 2.5 was about a safe space. We're going to make season 3 about the love space.
1: I like it. Good (laughs) idea. idea.
0: Yeah, that's really dope. I never heard that. That was a very well Debbie way, just did it
2: for us. There it is. Hey,
0: That was a really good way of just saying that. It makes so much sense A love space, you know? <laughs> you know, you got your personal space, <laughs> you know? So uh, let's talk about that um, because I'm pretty sure that you go through moments now that you feel like your personal space gets invaded, especially with all that you've been through. How do you handle those situations?
1: You know what? I really hardly ever get triggered by anything. Awesome. anymore. I just overcame it. I didn't, I was a victim and then I was a survivor, and now I just am whole, right. which to me is totally miraculous. And yeah. my opinion of it, in botany, there's a term called uh, I'll get it, hold on a second. It's okay, it happens so it sport, all the time. <laughs> A sport, which is an organism that is genetically different than the organism that created it. It's this once in an every once in a while thing that happens, and I was placed in so much badness. There is, there's really no way to know how I came out of it, being able to love anybody, Definitely. or even just yeah. stay alive. Right. Yeah, and I sure. just because I didn't learn it from anybody. There was nobody in my life to model it for me. Teachers when I got older, but that's really limited in how much it can really affect you. Yeah. But somehow yeah. I was. Born to be able to overcome this and to love other people, even when I didn't love myself.
2: And to wow. nurture children, too. That's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. You know? Right. Yeah. So you
0: it's know what? Incredible. You know what, be. I kind of... I always bring my mom up in these shows, right?
2: Yeah, he does. My mom. That's, that's my best
0: friend. I love my mama. Okay? Good. <laughs> but... One thing, my mom is seventy-three now. She's gonna kill me telling her age. But oh, yeah. I'm seventy-three, so deal with it. But <laughs> she's um she's going through like this weird part in her life where she kind of had a similar life as far as no one ever taught her anything. Now she went through a lot of her own states of abuse and those kind of things, but she never, you know, she was saying she always tells a story about how one time like she was just out in public and she had like a a whole bunch of hair under her arms and, like, a stranger told her, like, you need to cut that up. No one in her family ever taught her about grooming and, you know, so, oh, no. But, you know, she was... You know, my mom told stories about how she used to disappear in her nightgown, a bata, and, like, barefoot and just, like, be all around Puerto Rico <laughs> and just do <laughs> no. weird things. But now she, she like, she goes through uh, the guilt, I feel like it's guilt, of suffering that us her children went through because she feels like because no one taught her certain things that she couldn't possibly be the best mom that she is i feel completely opposite you know i feel like because of who you are and because you are completely a self-made queen Mm -hmm. you know my mom is a goddess you know we've seen her rise up from nothing and this is something that we got to witness which is why i love strong women You know, it it is like I don't understand how women cannot be so strong because I've always had a strong woman figure in my life. Like when I grow up, I want to be a strong woman. You know what I'm
2: saying?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that is what I want to be. I want to be like my mama.
2: Just showed everybody my gray hair. (laughs) <laughs> oh God.
0: but what i wanted to ask debbie i actually wanted you to give my mom some advice right <clears throat> because I, I i try to always tell her like you just got to let that stuff go like you did amazing there was never a time that i feel like she wasn't the best version of herself at that time yes did she get better with time of course but you always gave us the best that you could in the moment And what you said just made me think like, that's a great lesson from my mom. Like she needs to like move on from those things. And I know that's very, very hard to say, but what would be your advice to my mom or people like my mom?
1: Start loving yourself. Take everything, you give to other people and give it to yourself. Right. Because I wanted to kill the inner child probably for a decade. I just, couldn't see how I could be happy with that yucky little thing hanging around and I'd be so happy if I could just kill her and people said it a lot but eventually I realized that I can't kill her because she isn't really a different person right? and it's me and maybe that's why I wanted to die for so long but just once I decided her. I couldn't kill her I started doing a lot of imaginary fantasizing you know go back and talk to her that stuff that they say right. and When I was able to accept many different broken parts, you know, this one happened when I was nine, this one happened when I was 12. I learned to accept all of them and she wasn't ugly and dirty anymore. And she wasn't a secret and she wasn't something who hurt me anymore. Right. You just have to get to that point. And many of the stories in the later part of the book are about things I did to try to come to terms with that little child that was me.
0: Right, and you said something. I guess amazing again. Acceptance. You know, it, I feel like acceptance is a big part of the healing process. Excuse me, I'm over here burping. That's real rude. <clears throat> like that's the most masculine thing I did all day. Um,
2: <laughs> I, I have a question, but I don't want to interrupt yeah. anybody. Um,
0: no, no. But well, can I ask that question? How, how much? How much would you stress acceptance to people? like accepting that this happened to you or accepting, you know, it's like, really, that's the way to kind of get past it.
1: Um, you have to stop living as if that's now. That's the very first thing you have to do. You have to put some space between that and you who you are now. I thought I was nine years old in that house for so long, probably into my forties, because that's where I was stuck. That's where I hated myself so completely and I was being treated so horribly that I just felt it every minute of every day. Like it was yesterday. Wow. So you got to get that space in there.
0: Okay. Go hey, Rebecca. I'm going to hey, cut Rebecca. you
2: off. Okay. Now I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, your permission so. has been great. <laughs> okay. Um, so how, what's your relationship like now with your sister in, I don't know if your father or mother, you have a relationship with them. My have sister you... is my
1: very best friend. Oh, I love sorry. her to pieces. I love her as she was my child when I was little. I love her as the person who kept me alive and who gave me some mothering growing up. And I love her because she's a wonderful, beautiful person. And I like being with her. My right. father. Hi, sister. Sue. Sue. Hi, Sue. My father, I have not had contact with in a lot, for a long time. Shortly after I met my ex-husband, I stopped contact with him. And I picked it up again at one point because my sister was talking to him. And I thought, well, maybe he's not so bad anymore. And that lasted less than a year. And then I just had to cut him off again. And I felt a little guilty. Like, I shouldn't have come back if I'm going to leave again. And I thought about staying because of that. And then I was just too healthy to do it. Oh My god! My mother and my stepfather, I uh, mostly talk to on the phone. They're getting too old to travel. So I don't see them very often. But I talk to them on the phone in limited doses.
2: So have you found forgiveness for your father at all? I mean, is the forgiveness that needs...
1: more it all became irrelevant. Right. I mean, he's not stuck in my head as a voice. He was a voice in my head for a long time. And I don't care what happens to him, but I don't wish anything bad to him either.
0: Right, right, right it's like if i never see you again
1: it's okay <laughs> I don't there's no reason for me to, because i lost that whole side of my family
0: right right yeah. definitely and they're, they're not your family they're your relatives
1: my okay? relatives yes
0: you were born into that family is who you love what you make and who you bring into your circle i always I have do.
1: that too but yeah i'm very fortunate
0: and yes and that, that that's clearly amazing have you and insisted does you have you and your sister ever had a conversation about things you went through
1: in limited amounts. Okay. I'm, I asked her not to read the book and I have not told her a lot of things because I did it to keep her from getting traumatized back then. So why on earth would I want to traumatize her now? Very good answer.
0: Yes, right. definitely. You think yeah. she's stuck in
1: radio? <laughs> <laughs> I know she doesn't want you. She's afraid of what she would find out. I yeah. know, I know.
0: Now, was there any ever any kind of resentment or anything towards your sister because your your life was harder than hers?
1: No, there really wasn't. I was just grateful that I had her. I tend to be a pretty grateful sort of person. I don't get resentment or envy very often.
0: Mm, how but do you do that? I, I, I always
1: the- compared myself right. to me my whole life. Right. You know, I spent several years in a really bad ghetto-type school system, and I didn't learn much, but I did learn how to teach because the only way to get past what a subject we was doing was to get my classmates to be able to pass the test so we could go on to the next thing. Yeah. So I, it was partially to make them safe because I was giving them something and then maybe they won't hurt me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was intelligent and there was no challenge in that school. So I was the only one I could compare me to. I didn't see anybody around me that I was trying to rise up higher than.
0: That That is my, I, I tell people all the time when they tell me like, I'm not perfect mm-hmm. or nobody's perfect. And it's like, who are you comparing yourself to? Because if there's only one you, how can you not be perfect? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So you kind of said that in another way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I guess to get serious though, a little bit. Um, so there are a lot of people who watch us who are on that mm-hmm. cusp of maybe I have trauma, but I don't want to admit it. And I wanted you to ask, you know, like, what would you say to those people? What would you tell those people, those people that are watching now that, you know, number one, that story is not bad as yours because that is a concept that people have. Oh, I should be grateful that he's only beating me because of people getting killed. No, you shouldn't be grateful for anything that makes you feel bad. They're great. Great nothing should be in it, okay? It's not great. You don't feel grateful. You know, it's not a great time. If it feels bad, it's not for you. But so I guess I want two-part question, of course. What would you say to people who just aren't, you know, speaking up or don't know better or don't know how to take that leap into really seeing if they have trauma? And then people who are scared of it completely.
1: If you think that there's something wrong, there's something wrong. People right. do not walk around thinking I'm a horrible person for no reason. Right. You know, most people have some kind of brokenness in them, but to believe that you probably didn't have trauma because you can't remember it or because you think you're comparing your story to mine and yours was only blah, 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 blah. blah we don't carry around pain in us for no reason. And right. sometimes you don't need to know why. You know, it's better from what I've seen in other people if you don't have to dredge up the why, if you can just move forward and build habits and relationships. And it just becomes irrelevant in the best case scenarios. Right. But don't minimize yourself, I would say.
0: Definitely. And, you know, I, and I kind of just wanted to add and say that you might find that what you thought was bad is not bad, but it's still worth it. Knowing for sure, <laughs>
1: you sometimes know. Sometimes it's not worth knowing for sure. Honestly, you I've known people so. that just choose to start believing in themselves and to rebuilding themselves. And you know, sometimes it's just that you had a mother who was mentally ill. This is not a just, but if you had a mother who was mentally ill, she didn't give you the sk- the skills you needed as a normal, so to so speak person she has not capable of teaching you emotional regulation or how to get along with other people or how to stand up for yourself so even if you were never beaten or raped or molested there was still a broken part and we all come with broken parts
0: Mm -hmm. i come with a lot of broken parts me too but i keep a wrench and a screwdriver handy
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that has got to be the corniest thing i have ever said. I just. It was. It was a America is turning off our podcast right now.
0: Oh, my God. No, they're not because they're they watching are. Debbie. Okay.
2: Well, after you said that, they're, so I'm sorry, Debbie. But I hope they continue watching. Keep watching, people.
0: <laughs> you know what, Rebecca? You're fired.
2: <laughs> no, I'm not.
0: <laughs> sorry. Okay.
2: We, we sorry, fight like mother
0: and sister, but yeah. Yeah.
1: It's but, all but, in fun. Uh,
0: really, I love, I really, 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 really love them.
1: Those little I ones bet. you treat that.
0: <laughs> <Look,
2: laughs> Benny does
0: you know, love me. Oh my God. I told you, I love you. I told you. <laughs> you know I what? Gotta- I, I got, I was born with my mom's look, but my dad's sense of humor. And if you weren't an ugly bitch, that means he couldn't stand your ass. So people will want to be called an ugly bitch. <laughs> it's like, you just gonna sit here and let him call you ugly bitch? Yes, because that means he loved me. <laughs> but right. I mean, they knew it was his way of. He right. was very, I don't know. My, my dad actually, yesterday was two years that. Um, my dad, since my dad had been gone, passed away oh, from no.
2: coronavirus,
0: and yesterday was two years. And I, and I, you know, it was funny. I was gonna write something about it. Uh, actually, when you guys see this, it's gonna be past all this. So October fourth <laughs> was two years, and um, and I was thinking I was gonna write write it to somebody, but I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure all I was not gonna write something to somebody. I was gonna make a post or you know, social media or something. Just you know, just honoring him. Right. But I felt like the best way I can honor him. Was not to rub it in everybody in my family's face, you know, because I'm like, you're scrolling through Facebook and you are seeing 13. Oh, we miss you. We wish you was never here. And, and, you know, I felt like it it was I needed to let everybody grieve their own way without adding my grieving to their grieving. (laughs) But it's a day after. So now I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) Fair enough. Right. So now your book took a really long time. You've released it. How, was that a big part of uh, your healing also, kind of getting it out into a book?
1: Really, by the time it went into a book, I felt healed before, largely before I started writing the hard parts. Because I couldn't write any of it until I had resolved that specific issue. It just, when it didn't hurt anymore, that's when I knew it was time to write about it.
0: Right. And then when, when did you feel it or why did you feel it was important to tell your story?
1: Because I didn't just survive. Um, I think most people that experience that level of pain have become addicted to something somewhere along the line that really makes their life hard and makes it hard to come back from. And I, feel so fortunate I didn't do those. I became, I had an eating disorder, which is horrible enough. But to get into those substance abuses, I never would have come back out again.
0: So So, me getting choked during sex though, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right?
1: You getting choked up during
0: (laughs) sex? Is that what you said? Oh, when you're having sex and you're getting choked and you... Oh, never mind. <laughs> we're, losing we're losing... Yeah,
2: we're losing viewers every second.
0: <laughs> you think so. We just gained three.
2: I was just okay. going to say, maybe people, we're gaining a, look, a lot of people point.
0: like being choked out there. Okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay to <laughs> choke a little bit if you like it. If it's something that appeals to you, remember, no one thing fits all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but... You should never feel in danger. You should never feel your life is at risk. You should never feel like someone's trying to harm you. Remember, those things are important.
1: They <laughs> are know? important.
0: So once you start to feel those ways, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we always say find yourself a safe place so that you can find your love space.
2: Okay. okay. Oh, there it is. That was that is perfect.
0: So now we can get your book probably anywhere books are sold. Or
1: yes, um, I'll give you the link. You can buy it from me directly, or you can get the paperback on Amazon. The okay. ebook is on most ebook platforms. Cool. So now Barnes and Noble, etc.
0: We're gonna buy a book, but I need an autographed. Okay. Okay. It's one. It's one. Look, it's one part of the deal. If you're on the podcast, I need an autographed book. Not but we'll pay we'll pay for your books so we'll definitely order it of course and we just believe in supporting you in your amazing journey um it's really really cool i, I i'm sitting here and i'm thinking about like you're saying like just kind of forget about those things and they don't need to be open and my healing was a little journey journey was a little different because i kind of opened and went through all of those things mm-hmm. so um it's it's kind of cool to me it's kind of cool because i feel like we might be at our same place almost a similar place in life where it's just, hey, this is me, this is who I am. <laughs> you know, um, actually, you know what happiness is like too and what peace is. And that's pretty incredible. But yeah. I don't think forgetting it would have worked for me.
1: Wouldn't so, it work for me either. Right. But people that just have this little niggle that maybe there's something could be possible to be able to just resolve the feelings without getting in touch with the original trauma. That's what right. EMDR does a lot. Okay. And that's a good point.
0: And um, but it just goes to show you guys that there's so many ways to heal. Absolutely. Being happy. I'm going to say for more than just a day is important. But if you could just get that one day, <laughs> let's start with that one day, that one hour, that one minute.
2: Or it's a worth moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that worth
0: discovering moment. what <laughs> makes you happy. What's your peace. Debbie, any last words, any last advice, anything you want to give our audience, anything that we didn't let, the, let you talk about because I talked too much?
1: <laughs> no, not at all. But just know so, there are there's... specific things that worked for me that right. are in the book that people can take as it is and take something away from it and do something similar for themselves. A lot of it had to do with relationships, and I used a lot of creativity. I had very magical thinking for a very, very long time, you know, like till yesterday. (laughs) And so I am able, because of that, to, for example, take a doll and love that doll and then feel like I'm being loved as I love that doll. So there's some really cool different skills in the end of the book. And I am also available to talk with groups or to run workshops, which are based on the skills in the book, plus ones I've learned since the book, since the end of the book.
0: And you work with anybody with any kind of trauma, correct? Or is it just mainly around sexual assault?
1: No, not mainly around sexual assault. Mainly around done to you. So if you feel guilty because you did something wrong, my methods and ideas probably wouldn't work for you. Because the whole point is it wasn't your fault. And stop blaming yourself. You didn't do it because you wanted to have sex. You did it because you wanted to survive
0: right right definitely, definitely. Oh, and it I is see. completely two different things rebecca what you got any last words for uh people watching that you think turned off the podcast but they didn't mm-hmm.
2: talk to them yeah no thank <laughs> you for staying with us even though micah is crazy um but and i sh- i'm sure debbie is grateful that you stayed with us as well um Thank you, Debbie, for sharing your story with us. And I think that anybody who reads your book is reading it because they need to. And I am very sorry they've had to experience anything that they've had to that has prompted them to read your book. Um, But like Micah said, find your safe space to find your love space. (laughs) <laughs> right that's what you said right
0: <laughs> it, it's close enough it is close yeah okay enough. And but i also wanted to say can i just add on to you real quick i know mm-hmm. you just finished talking about how people cut you off but i thought it was important to say like don't feel like you need to have experience what debbie experienced to read yeah. the book because read the book number one you never know what you're gonna get out of it number two there are methods of healing literally in that book because you see it in front of you and it may work for you. But I also feel like it gives you a knowledge to maybe see something in someone else that you could pass the book on to. Absolutely. So just get the book. Okay. Yes. We're going to yes. list all of the links before and I'm going to pass it back to Rebecca to close it out. Cause I cut you off. That's Sorry.
2: okay. Well, thank you again for watching and sticking with us. I know it may have been challenging here or there, but Again, thank you. I for made watching. two
0: jokes. I made two jokes. Okay, too too many it's but, tough subjects. Yeah.
2: It can trigger people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, thank you so much for debbing. Uh We will have all of your contact information running across the screen and where they can buy your book and so forth. And yeah, thank you for watching, everyone. Thank you for watching. Right. Thanks, guys. We'll see
0: you next week. Thank you so much, Debbie, for being on and for showing us what it looks like to love yourself after pain. We really appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Until then, peace, love and blessings.